no, we, we were remarking before the show that um, the, my gift for you this week is that I'm going to do a parody song again. Right. Um, I'm, it, you know, it's been well documented that I have uh, sort of hung up the jersey, so to speak, from the parody song. Yeah. That's something a lot um, of people say, hang up the jersey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just wanted to <clears throat> just give you a little something, a little token of my appreciation. So uh, we got a slight intro here right now. Just cool. give you, yeah, just, you know, we're going to get started as soon as, as soon as the YouTube video clears. Oh my God, a YouTube video. I usually pull from Spotify, but to each their own. Feels like... Mason. <laughs> okay, take two, brother. Let's fucking okay. do it. I should have actually just done it from the from from Spotify. That's what I'm fucking saying. You don't have to wait for a fucking ad or anything. Feels like I'm listening to a podcast feed of great takes and freaking epic hosts. Feels like I'm lost in a cush cloud of dank beamer scent with friends, the Joker and Stu. <laughs> Stewie Griffin, you know. Yeah. The song's not over. We got a little, little, little musical right interlude. Yeah, a little interlude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so far, Mason, I'm These loving These days. It feels like content is crushing me. Endless scrolling through the streaming sites. At least I know the podcasts have my best interests at heart. Recommending only good stuff. Say it, say it again. I love to do this podcast every week. It is the best way I spend one of my evenings talking songs and talking movies. I love to do this podcast every week. It is the best way I spend one of my evenings talking songs and talking movies. They did surgery on a grave. 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 Welcome to to our podcast every week. We recommend films and songs and other things that are underrated. Welcome to to our podcast every week. We recommend films and songs and other things that are underrated. Welcome to to our podcast every week. We recommend films and songs and other things that are underrated. Welcome to to our podcast every week we recommend films and songs and 
and uh, we will call that that then. Welcome to It's On The List, the only podcast that does surgery on a grape. Yes. Uh, I am one of your hosts, uh, the funny talking baby, ha! Noah Marger, and with all me always, podcast king, uh, three-point champion, 2006, slam dunk champion, 1994, uh, Hall of Famer for both mm-hmm. the College Basketball Hall of Fame and, I guess it's just one Hall of Fame, but you were inducted as a college player and a pro player. I was, I was. Thank you for, thank you for remembering that. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, it is always my co-host, Mason McGuire. Mason, what a lovely parody song. Thank you. Um, how do you feel about that as your birthday gift? <laughs> like I said to you before, uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> what song actually were you parodying? I don't know if I'm familiar with that. Uh, I Loved You Always Forever by Donna Lewis. I'm, if you don't, I'm really not familiar with that song. That's totally fine. Um, I... <laughs> I would recommend that you listen to it after this because once you do, it's going to make one, the parody is going to make a lot more sense. And two, you will never not hear that song for the rest of your life. It's just <laughs> always going to be stuck in your head um, forever. And I, I told you actually, so peek behind the curtain. We'll creek behind the curtain there. Uh, Noe texted me in a, in a moment of, 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 uh, of need being like, of do you have any and shame, like doubt and shame being like, Yes. Do you have any idea of a song that I could parody for the show this upcoming week? And I said, I don't. But I've had a little something on the stove that I've been waiting to bring out. And it was, I love to do this podcast every week. It is the best way I spend one of my evenings talking films, songs, and talking movies. Um, so I would also recommend my, that's my recommendation for the show this week is to listen to the song. I love you always forever by Donna Lewis. Dude, absolutely fucking nuts, dude. On yeah, it's dude. nucking futs. I would say honestly, it is pretty nucking futs. Yeah. Damn. Should we do Dewey, Dewey Roberts, former child star, Dickie Roberts, former <laughs> child star on the podcast. Is that what that's from? Is that what nucking futs is from? That's where the first time I heard it was, was watching that movie in a hotel room with my grandma <laughs> being like mom and dad aren't home i'm gonna watch all the forbidden content starting with dickie roberts <laughs> my gra- my my sweet grandmother paid for that movie in our hotel room dude i remember my friend in college told me a story about not going to see dickie roberts whatever the name of that movie, full title is former child mm. star but there was another movie that came out either in the late 2000s or the early 2010s called Bucky Larson, Born yes. to the Star, with Nick yes. Swardson. Do you remember this? I do remember this. I remember when that movie, uh, I feel like that movie came out when I was going into my senior year of high school, I feel. But I do know about this movie. I feel like that's maybe not true. Maybe it came out earlier than that. I'm going to do a quick quick fact check on that because it's the next words one where he's like realizes that his parents are porn stars or whatever right oh wow it did come out in 2011 so yeah you probably were going into your senior I was, year of high school. yeah i was going to my senior interesting wow. has a whopping three percent on rotten tomatoes uh and a that's 3. kind of impressive 2. honestly three percent for every single inch that his dick is apparently <laughs> but i remember my friend told me that movie came out in 2011 my friend and i would have been what 14 or whatever when that movie came out probably and so 
he went to go i didn't know him at the time he told me this when college when i met him mm-hmm. he went to go to the theater with his friends and his younger brother and they bought a ticket to something else <laughs> and then they walked into bucky larson born to be a star uh <clears throat> and the guy who was like working that area like saw them go in and was like all right guys give it up come yeah, on get sure, out of there sure. okay. and they were like how do you know that you know how do you know like how <laughs> do you know that we're, we didn't buy tickets to this you know and they're like 14 or 15 years old yeah and he's like well without going into the fact <laughs> that you aren't old enough literally <laughs> to see this movie and i can tell that zero tickets were sold to that movie. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> So, wow very epic. i think that yeah that movie had like it's too bad that uh the reviews of kids sneaking into that movie weren't counted in that um rotten tomato score because i feel like it could have at least be 14 percent. at least no. listen you get a 14 or 15 percent up there then you have a cult classic but at 13 per, at three percent you got nothing as far as i'm concerned yeah man nick swartzen how about that guy he is fine <laughs> he's totally fine he's right? fine i remember there was this there was this comedy bit that i liked of his where he talked about how he would kill himself do you know about this bit i don't i know one nick swartzen bit and that for sure is not that this bit i'm gonna do the bit for you which i know is what people like they like other people that's doing why they yeah they, they tune into this show in particular because they love to hear us do bits of other people's bits. They like to yeah, just do right, other right, people's right. bits. Right, 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 right. And I remember, like, I remember I would listen to this. Oh, my God, dude. I didn't have an iPod for so long. I had a SanDisk brand Sansa MP3 player mm, because we mm. had Pay Napster instead of iTunes Ooh. for so long. This isn't the first time you've talked about how I, it must have been Matt had Pay Napster. <laughs> yeah. So Matt decided we would do pay Napster instead. It was actually, to be honest with you, it was actually kind of a cool service that he had because it predated Spotify to yeah, the best, right. of my mm-hmm. rec- best of my recollection because you weren't actually buying songs. You were basically paying like $15 a month to like get any song you wanted as long as you had this plan. So you would uh, still, it would, they would still be added to your library they just it was technically streaming is what it was but it was like mm-hmm. free spotify or whatever but i remember i would listen to this nick swords and bit on my sandisk brand sansa mp3 player and i would just listen to him be like yeah if i was gonna kill myself i would go to a public area and i would take a big sniff in and i would say who fucking farted and then i would shoot myself <laughs> in the head and people would be like holy shit that guy must have smelled the worst part <laughs> of all time because he just killed himself after seeing that. That was sort of the big joke that I liked. And he went on to talk about how he would do his funeral and everything. But we don't really, we actually do not need to get into how no, Nick Swardson No, that, so, that seems so unimportant. But I do love Nick Swardson. He's great in a movie that I want to bring onto this show at some point, but I will not tell you what movie that is because when I will bring it onto the show, you will really hate me for bringing that movie onto the show, even though it's a movie I genuinely really like and think is funny. You're going to, one of those, yes, yes, yes. I, I, listen, post-click, I'm up for anything. I'm willing to give anything a shot. It's a very bold statement of you, but I'm going to hold you to that. So, Mason. Hey. Hey, buddy, how's it going? How's it going, Mason? 
Oh, great, man. I was telling you off mic, uh, and maybe this counts as a shit report or not, and maybe I'm just saying shit report, so I have an excuse to put in this royalty-free music that I paid for. Bum, bum. Um, bum, bum. Uh, it took a very nice, clean, quick, uh, little poop right before we started recording. Yes. Um, I had been having some issues getting some stuff. We don't need to get into it. Please, um, God, not, do not <laughs> spare anymore, us the but, details, please. But it's going all right. I decided uh, this show is going to come out on um, January 19th, and I decided that I would give myself the next day off. I don't want to be dealing with work stuff on Inauguration Day. I would sure. rather just chill. So you know what? On January 20, 19th here, last full day of Donald Trump as president, allegedly, you know, Seems like things are moving pretty quickly in the month of January here. <laughs> Soak it all in, baby. Last full day with Donnie T in the White House. Let's fucking, let's remember all the good times that we had with Donnie T in the White House. I will remember, remember you. <laughs> him literally saying haters and losers on 9-11. I think that was actually him, a pre presidency yeah i think that that was that uh, that um that tweet unfortunately was lost to time like tears and rain when they suspended Damn. his subscription yeah that's what the movie blade runner is about it's about donald trump's lost tweets yeah. because he was permanently banned from twitter um, yeah yeah so yeah r.i.p to a real one <laughs> r.i.p to a real fucking awesome guy donald trump so very cool yeah very cool. But that's how I'm doing. How are you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. Doing good. You know, we'll see. We'll see how things go. We'll see how things go. But, you know, as of now, doing all right. Excited to talk about two very different things today mm-hmm. on the show. Mm-hmm. But two things I'm very excited to talk about nonetheless, but for very different reasons, my friend. I could not agree with you more. Yes. Uh, this is a pretty... Um, We'll get into each one uh, at their due time. So, as we do on the show, this is just a regular degular. It's episode episode of It's on the List. <laughs> regular and degular, baby. You know it. You love it. Two boys mm-hmm. coming at you. Two boys coming. Degular episode. Uh, <laughs> but, Noe, it's your turn to do the album this week. Do you want to talk about that? I do. Okay. The album this well, week. Well, talk about it. Okay, Mason. Shut up. Shut the shut the fuck up so I can talk about my shit. Uh, the album this week, call it a mixtape if you want. That's a fair thing to call it because that's technically what it is, is a mixtape. It was not released mm-hmm. on Spotify. You cannot listen to it on Spotify. So is don't this look. The, is this, so don't fucking look. Is this the second time in our show's history where the thing is not available on Spotify directly or Apple uh, Music? That sounds right, but I could not tell you what the other time was. It was... Uh, it was Joanna Newsom. It was Eves. It was Eves by Joanna Newsom. This is very different than that. The mixtape slash music choice slash yeah. album pick today is yeah. a Noe pick. It is 2013's Internet Tape by Vic Mensa. Snap, 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 snap. So call it an album, call it a mixtape, but Noe... Can we call it late for dinner? Oh, can we? I think we should not. I think we should not call it. <laughs> no, Vic's a, Vic is a growing boy. He's got to get his vegetables in. No, he's got to be right not, there on time. Yeah, let's not call him late for dinner because if we call him late for dinner, he's actually he's gonna get pissed, and I don't want yes. Vic to be pissed at me because no, I love does. this guy. 
At least I love this mixtape. Uh, and this was a mixtape that I loved in high school. I was in high school in 2013. I was a sophomore or a junior, depending on what side of 2013 you land on. <laughs> and I had a friend who I think I actually mentioned, not by name, but I mentioned him in a previous episode of one, maybe the last episode, maybe one that was, you know, not the last episode, a couple episodes ago. But he's a rapper now, and mm -hmm. he really was into stuff that you could not find that easily, stuff that wasn't just going to show up on Spotify. This was pre-Apple Music days, so stuff that wasn't just going to show up, you know, on the top page of the rap slash hip-hop section of whatever music site you were using. He showed me things like, oh, fuck, what, is they, what are they called? He showed me, like, Shiny Gold Chain by uh, Vince Staples, he showed mm, okay. me. He was the first person to show me Death Grips. He was the first guy to show me. Uh, he showed me some Action Bronson mixtapes that okay. were really fire, really good. Blue Chips one and two. He showed me Flatbush Zombies, Better Off Dead, which is an amazing okay. mixtape that I'll probably want to bring on this show at some point. But I think one that I found instead of him was Internet Tape by Vic Mensa, and this was the same year. That acid rap came out by Chance mm -hmm. the Rapper, kind of took the world by storm a little bit. I feel like a lot of people really like acid rap. I think a lot of people would say that's probably Chance's best thing that he's mm -hmm. released. At least that's what I would say, and I have to believe that that is a majority opinion. But this came out the same year as that. And Vic and Chance are friends, and I'll talk about a that a little bit, you know, as we get into the fast facts later on. But I loved this mixtape. And I didn't really share it with anyone. I wasn't like, you got to listen to Internet Tape by Vic Mensa. But I just remember really, really loving this mixtape. And I really only focused mainly on the first half, I think. I would listen to it all the way through, obviously, when I first got it. But I really only mainly focused on the first half in my, like, re-listens to it. Or I would just pop on things from the first half normally. Uh, but I had forgotten about it. It was just kind of mm. one of those that sort of got tucked away from me. Didn't really think about it pretty much since college. I don't think I've listened to it since the end of high school. So going on six-ish years now, it's probably when I was last really listening to it, except for now. And I was listening to Thundercats 2020 album that he released mm -hmm. called It Is What It Is. It's a really good album. Thundercats, awesome. Thundercats I was awesome. like, he is awesome. And I was like, damn, I know I've heard a Thundercat thing before this, what is the Thundercat thing I've heard before this? And I was thinking, and I couldn't remember, and I was like, damn, what the fuck is it? And I remembered he is featured on the track Run mm -hmm. on the Internet Tape by Vic Mensa. And I was like, holy shit, I haven't listened to Internet Tape in so long. I have to re-listen to this. So then I checked my computer. I guess I had deleted, like, all of my, like, iTunes music at one point to, like, make extra room. So I didn't have it on my iTunes anymore. So I literally went on to Dat Piff and Mixtape Monkey. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I re-downloaded my favorite, like, unofficial mixtapes that I used to listen to in high school. Mm -hmm. Internet tape being the catalyst for me to re-download all this stuff. And I'll just re-listen to all this stuff. You know, I have yet to put it on my phone. So when I'm just sitting at my computer or whatever, just absolutely go wild listening to this stuff. And I'm so excited that I remembered it because this is a perfect thing to bring on this show as far as yeah. I'm concerned. But Mason, hey, I have to imagine you'd probably never heard this before. You would be correct. Um, 
hip hop is always and rap is always a tough thing for me to like find my in into. Like, sure. I I'm not. I don't dislike listening to to rap, and I wish that I was better at. Um, I guess listening to it is for lack of a better term. Sure. Um, being as like kind of um uh, knowledgeable about it as some other people are. It's just like. Yeah, man, it, it a lot of people got a head start on this on this genre before I did. Um, so this is a I've heard of Vic Mensa before, um, and if, uh, but this is the first time that I can remember hearing this album all the way through, uh, and it was a real fucking treat. Yeah, I will baby. say, yeah, let's fucking yeah. Go, baby. Let's, let's fucking go. go. Let's uh, go, brother. All right. He is a Chicago boy too. Yes, He's Hyde Park, born and raised. Mm-hmm. He he does. Uh, he it was fun listening to this, and he mentioned that he um was le- being left off of a list of Chicago rappers, and I'm like, <laughs> you're like dude. me too. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. I know I know exactly what that feels like, man. No one respects me. <laughs> <laughs> no one in the rap game gives me the fucking time of day. No, uh, no. <laughs> well, yeah, he's a Chicago boy. New chance just it puts this out he's 20 years old when he puts this out mm-hmm. and i'll be honest i went through and listened to like his like top 10 tracks or whatever on spotify now starting with stuff that's been out since like 2016 mm-hmm. and none of it sounds like this in my opinion none of his like newer stuff that he's been like ever since he's been i guess on a major label or whatever mm-hmm. you know none of his stuff really sounds like this in my opinion, none of this stuff really has the sort yeah. of the same like playfulness that this has because I see this album sort of as like a tale of two halves, not necessarily as far as like first half is this, second half is this, but it's just like got two. I think it's got quite literally like your shirt, Mason, two faces. <laughs> you want to describe for everyone what's going on on your oh shirt? no this shirt is awesome it's um if you're familiar with the bat dance music video and how prince is dressed up like two-face kind of and his two faces are uh joker and batman more or less uh it's a recreation of that and it's awesome it's one of my comfiest shirts i love wearing it but uh the prince does have two faces folks uh, much like this album that that Noe is, <laughs> it's a good metaphor. I like that. Very good. I think. Well, I think it's true because I think that like half of this album is very playful, and he's really showing off sort of like who he is, you know, and how mm-hmm. fast he can rap and his lyricism or whatever, and like that's sort of what half of the album is dedicated toward. And then the other half of the album is dedicated to like very thoughtful very like yes existential questions a lot of which having to do with where is my career gonna take me you know things are moving very fast another question that he brings up oftentimes is you know remembering having to remember where i come from coming from humble beginnings you know not being in you know the entertainment industry and all of a sudden you know people want to sign me for an arm and a leg he says you know in the song orange soda and then also thinking about the violence that occurs, you know, in and around the areas that he's living in and he's experiencing, you know, mm-hmm. seeing people get shot and seeing people, you know, in these very tough situations. So it's a real duality of an album. You have this happy, go lucky, playful sound, and then you have these very thoughtful, interesting, introspective songs on the album as well. 
and I did that never really occurred to me really until this listen because when I was in high school I kind of just wrote off the second half of the album because I just enjoyed listening to Orange Soda and Lovely Day and in Welcome to Internet and you know mm-hmm. and stuff more so but this album is actually this mixtapes actually got a lot more depth to it than I first realized but Mason talk to me a little bit about your experience listening to this I've been doing a lot of talking uh, no, you're good. I mean, I have given this my requisite two listens, as you know, and I Classic. just, because I'm a, a, a big dumb dumb when it comes to, to, uh, rap here, um, the thing that's sticking with me the most is just how good the production is in this album. Totally. Um, and how it's a, um, and also just like how fast he can rap too. Totally. <laughs> like, that's one of my notes too, is just how can this guy rap so fast or talk so fast? Um, and I get what you're saying. It does sort of feel like he's, um, this very ambitious, uh, kid. He's 20 years old. Like you said, I couldn't quite, didn't quite realize he was that young, but he talks about how he wants, he's has all these goals before he hits like 21 or 24 or something, um, to be like a millionaire and all this other stuff. And I just kind of fell, uh, I was just so, um, drawn into his, um, I guess this kind of fight that he has with himself that you're describing between his like kind of ambitions and what he feels like he may owe to the people he that uh, grew up with him or, or raised him. Uh, this is an album that literally, or a mixtape or whatever, late for dinner or whatever that you want to call it, um, that has like a that has credits at the end basically or like an acknowledgments page, which totally. I was, which was I thought was a really cool thing, and I can't recall ever hearing in any other kind of album at all just like really putting in um you know before the 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 project ends just thanking his family thanking his friends thanking his producers and stuff and i'm like man like yeah you can open up the liner notes or you can look this stuff up online but to just put it in kind of for lack of a better term like the text of this album and the text of this song like he is a very i think thoughtful and considerate person at least it it comes off in this in this album in this project here um and that's kind of like my main impression, I think, um, the both times that I've listened to it, coming off of the two times that I've listened to it. Those are great points. And the idea that you're basically giving shout outs and crediting, you know, the people that you want to thank, these acknowledgments at the end. The only, and again, I, there's a lot of music I haven't heard, but the only other time that I've ever strictly heard something like this was on, oh, I think it, What's the name of the J. Cole album? Is it 2014 Forest Hills Drive? Is that the I name of the I think so. Yes, yes, yes. There, there's I a believe song, so. There's a song at the end of that album, and I'm not exaggerating when I say I think it's like 17 minutes long or something crazy. Like okay. I'm going to look it up right now, but it's called Note to Self. Is that a very J. Cole thing to do? I remember J. Cole... Uh, what was the, the J. Cole meme? J. Cole went platinum with no features or something like that. Do you, does, does this ringing a bell for you for anything? Well, it would be true of 2014 Forest Hills Drive. I'm looking at it right That's now. It, it That's is it. all just J. Cole. There's no features listed here. And the song at the end, a note to self, is 14 and a half minutes long. Mm, okay. Uh, and I remember it's sort of this like soulful, sort of like. I don't know if it's actually a church choir, but it sounds like a church choir from my Mm -hmm. recollection. And they're just like singing and like clapping and everything. And it's very gospel-y in that way. And he's, and then there's this piano that kicks in and he literally at one point goes, I just got to thank everybody. Jonah Hill. (laughs) 
Jonah Hill's name, and I think I think the music cuts out. Maybe it doesn't, but either way, he goes, I'm just playing with everybody. I don't actually know Jonah Hill, but if I did, I'd thank him at the end of this album. And that's the only other time I can remember hearing a, like you said, a credits screen or like see yeah. hearing the credits at the end of a record if you listen to something all the way through. But he is a very thoughtful guy. He is a very conscientious man. And I think if you just listened to internet tape, you would glean that. I think you would have to be mm-hmm. hard-pressed not to take that away from what he's talking about. Yeah. Because even in the playful stuff that isn't as existential or, you know, thinking about the world as a whole as a 20-year-old, he is he's such a good writer. He's, he's so yes, yes. He's so good at writing. I actually have probably my favorite lyrics right here. Is it cool if I tell you some of my favorite lyrics from this track or from this mixtape? Yeah, definitely. So in the first track, Welcome to Internet, uh, which internet tape, meaning internet and mixtape put together. It's literally spelled I-N-N-A-N-E-T-A-P-E. The first track is called Welcome to Internet. And this song really resonated with me personally in high school a lot and still does, for lack of a better term. But I remember in high school, it's 2013 when I'm listening to this, and I think it only applies more now i think it only makes more sense now because i just remember thinking at the time like man the internet is confusing man like being online is like overwhelming you know there's like so much to like think about with social media and all that yeah yeah and it's so nice that it just the internet just got easier it's so nice that it everything only makes more sense and everything's only more clear now yeah so There's not, not like anything like QAnon could ever happen now. No, 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 no. no. Everything's all cleared up. No, but, but did you see they did surgery on a grape? Oh, my man. They did fucking surgery on a grape? Are you kidding? Bro, they did, they did surgery on that fucking grape, man. Uh, surgery on the grape. Nope, Chuck Testa. Remember that meme? <laughs> Remember nope, Chuck Testa? Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Was, that was, like a, was that a Rhett and Link? It video? was a Rhett and Link. Yeah, video. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how those guys are still going, but honestly, God bless them. Uh, they, they got in early, man. I think that's really what it is. They got in really early. But in the song Welcome to Internet, it is like yes, yes, yes. this like cacophony of sound and the backbeat is really hard, like really like powerful and hard and violent. It's got this big drum sound and it's got all these different sort of like sounds mixed together. And he's talking so fast during it. Yeah. He's just going and going and going, trying to get all these thoughts out of his head. But then it stops and he goes, but baby, if you love me, let me take you where it's ugly to the place where no one comes. Now we're standing no man above me. And then he goes like, my God, I've done seen demons. And he like says stuff like that. And there's like this drum breakdown. And that just fucking kills me every time, dude. Like, I know it's coming now. And I'm still like shook when I hear that, to be honest. with you. What do you think of that track? The first track? It's so it's my answer for all these is just gonna be it's so good oh, yeah, um, it's I, it's such a good intro and i love that it kind of that drum break happens and then it like because the transition between um internet tape and orange soda i think is really interesting because they sound so similar oh you yeah know, the end of one and going into the other but like not quite and which i think is really creative and really fun when you, I don't know how, did you end up do like putting this into your iTunes or whatever? How did you? How I did. did you actually, yes, okay. I put it in my iTunes and I put it on my phone. 
Okay, that's the best way to listen to this, not what I did, which is to keep it on your Google Drive, and then you have to manually swipe every time you want to listen to another song. Uh, yeah. I would not recommend doing it that way, but I've heard this many, many times, so it didn't bother me. But I, that break between Welcome to Internet and Orange Soda is amazing. And in Orange Soda, which is probably the best song on the mixtape, I think... I have my own opinion on it. You're not wrong, but I have my favorite. Okay, well, we'll get to that in here in just a sec. This yeah. one continually just gets me fucking amped, but it really is the internet, welcome to Internet into Orange Soda that, for me, is sort of the, like, pinnacle of what's happening here. But in Orange Soda, you know, it's got that beautiful to get you what you need. Babe, I love it when you love it. Like that whole just like beautiful like thing that he's singing. And then in like the end of the first verse, he says, cut my publishing in half like I have to fold in parentheses origami for a dollar. What's a half of a half a whole quarter water or cavassier complicate things when money's what you conversate. But this is just so that, you know, I mean, holy shit dude i got yeah. goosebumps saying that just now that's like holy fucking shit that's like so powerful you know that's just like wordplay with like meaning you like understand like his like ulterior like not his ulterior motive but his like greater message there yeah awesome yeah. just fucking awesome dude so it rocks it that's rips. that's orange soda for me uh that's like my oh no there's another part here in orange soda actually i have written down I wish I could see the future. Just wish I could see the future. Tell me everything be okay. Just like my mama used to my youth's unfolding before me be 20 before I know it. I'm trying to write my Illmatic get TVs. That's panoramic. Uh, it's just like, he's like barely 20 years old. when He's like writing this shit. <laughs> yeah. And it's so fucking powerful. He's uh, ambitious. I like that. in I like that in an artist. I like that in a, uh, in a, in a person, he has his ambitions. He does. And he's like, literally seems like nothing's going to like get in his way. Um, and then when you get a little bit further down into the, into the, into the album and things get a little bit more serious, I guess, for lack of a better term, a little bit more thought, like, like mm -hmm. existential, I guess mm -hmm. the song Holy Holy has always stood out to me because mm -hmm. as someone who doesn't smoke weed, as someone yeah. who like doesn't do drugs at all for the most part, when he says, if the world ends tomorrow, would you smoke with me? Yeah. I've literally never thought of smoking weed as an intimate act in my entire life. But when I, yeah. but when I listen to him say, if the world were to end tomorrow, would you smoke with me? And that sounds corny, was coming out of some people's mouths. But not when you hear it out of Vic Mensa's mouth. When you no, hear it out of Vic Mensa's I, mouth, you're like, that is the fucking shit right there. I like that line, and... I when I heard it for the first time, my brain kind of made a connection between that and a thousand very confusing, like, Tinder profiles that I saw at one point in my life, probably. Oh, I feel for like real? That, I don't know. I feel like, but it definitely, like, I heard that line and I'm like, I, I agree with you. I like that it's about smoking weed as an intimate act. Sometimes it can be. Um, but I also just heard that line and I'm like, oh my god, like, just... The most boring people, the most boring stoners on Tinder would put that as their bio, and I would swipe <laughs> left or right without even giving it a second thought. You would swipe right. <laughs> you yeah, I am. You, you fucking pothead Mason would just fucking swipe right immediately. Mason was giving me the, the Kawhi face <laughs> just now. Um, but then there's the song Fear and Doubt, and he says in Fear and Doubt, 
this me at the end of the day, forget the talking, forget all the lies and forget all of the cameras, who's who and who's watching the water for my soul for the day I hit the coffin. You know, not wanting to give a shit about the lifestyle, quote unquote, or, you know, being a, 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 a celebrity or being somewhat of interest. You know, he's just focused on the things that matter to him, which are the people that he cares about and doing good work, you know, at the end yeah. of the day. And I think that yeah. that's another key component to who this guy is. Uh, in the song Time is Money, uh, very, very short line, but make money, but the money you make don't make you. That's my song on the album, and that's my favorite line. Is I that like really? That's your favorite song and favorite line? Yeah, because the first time I heard it, what my line, my note on it was, I want this to be in a Michael Mann movie so bad. <laughs> in one that already exists or in his next movie? It, just in a Michael Mann movie. If he wants to do like a, he wants to do like a, uh, uh, a remix of Miami Vice and just slot that in under a shot of Colin Farrell contemplating the ocean, it would be just fine with me. Um, or like drop it into heat or something. Well, it I might make thinking, more sense in heat. <laughs> I think I was thinking in heat, it would be Al Pacino going, make money, but the money, you, the money make, you make, don't make you. Yes. There we go. There we go. He's got a great stack of bills. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no, but I, I like, got. yeah, I, I like that song a lot. I love just the atmosphere of that song. Um, uh, in particular the line, make money, but the money you make don't make you. I'm just like, God damn. Yeah. We got to define ourselves outside of the capitalistic structure that, <laughs> you know, and rap, we, you know, is oftentimes yeah. seen as a very materialistic, you know, you know, right. world, you know, mm -hmm, cars, sure. house, whatever, you know, yeah. jewelry, whatever it is. But yeah, he's literally clothes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's literally going against the grain and being like, yeah, make your money, be comfortable, you know, buy your parents a house, you know, buy a car and, you know, put money away for your kid's college or whatever. Yeah. But that's not really what defines you. Uh, and I think that's an important message for, I think, for a lot of people to hear, whether they are a multimillionaire or not, most likely not a multimillionaire. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you're downloading the song off of Dad Piff or whatever, you're, the chances are that you are not a multimillionaire. Could be, you know. I'm not saying it never happened. I'm saying that the, the odds are not in your are ever not in your favor there. Damn, bro, fucking... <laughs> insane <laughs> um something else that i did want to uh talk about which we sometimes talk about on this show with music and albums sometimes we don't but i think in this time it's really important the album cover is so fucking cool dude yeah i really like it it's um like a weird like kind of abstract smeary kind of thing with his with his face i like the, the like the kind of the the uh the light blue the kind of shimmeriness of it um it's very cool looking yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and it's got his box logo of Save Money at the top, which is his foundation. And it says Internet Tape in um, not 8-bit letters, but, like, computeristic letters or whatever. Sure. Mm -hmm. And it's sort like of – kind of Matrix font? Kind of like uh, – it's not really Matrix font. It's just more like block letters. It's like well, – actually, you know what it looks like? It looks like the Twitch logo is what it looks oh, like. Oh, sure. Okay, okay. Um, and oh, it's sort sure, of sure. glitching out a little bit, like, with, like, generation loss or whatever. Um, and then it's got him, Vic Mensa, with, you know, that he's shaking his head or whatever. He seems like he's completely, you know, like freaked out or overwhelmed or whatever. And behind him, maybe I'm, you know, English shooting this, English student in this a lot. But behind him, 
is a chain link fence and what looks like a neighborhood, supposedly the neighborhood that maybe he was born and raised in. He's looking ahead, but he's sort of freaked out by what he sees ahead. You know, maybe, like I said, maybe I'm AP Englishing this, AP Litton comping no, this a little bit too go much. Go off, gang, do it, do it. But I think that there's a lot there. It's very straightforward, but I think that there's a lot there as far as the album cover is concerned. And I don't know exactly what it is. Oh, you know what it is? I think it's just a white particle that like got caught in the like shaking back and forth. But it even looks like an arrow pointing toward him on the right side of his face uh, on the album cover. Again, that's probably just a light particle that got, you know, some motion. On yeah. It. it looks like an arrow that's pointing toward him. So uh, I love this fucking mixtape so much. I think that every song is good. I don't like the song YNPS personally, but I don't think it's a bad, or excuse me, YNSP. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's a bad song, but I do think every song is absolutely like cap or lowercase g good. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, there's my sort of not fave song was Tweakin'. I wasn't too huge high on that one. That's the one with Chance, right? Yes, yes. Uh, (laughs) I wasn't too high. Did you say I wasn't too high on that one? Yeah, yeah, so to speak. Um, Looks like I'm about to call you late for dinner, brother. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I think that I'm with you that most songs on here are at least um, capital G good. Um, And, yeah, I mean, do you want to go into wrap-up stuff? Do you got some fast facts for us about this? Of course I got fast facts for you, brother. Who do you fucking take me as? Uh, the penguin. Oh, okay. I'm Oswald Cobblepot. Oh, uh, funny, funny. I'm a funny guy. <laughs> I'm a funny penguin. Uh, <laughs> that's what you take me as. See? <laughs> All right. Victor Quesi. Quesi. I'm not 100% sure you said it. It's K W E S I. Victor Quesi Mensa was born June 6, 1993. His father is from Ghana and his mother is a white American. Mensa grew up in Hyde Park, Chicago and attended Whitney M. Young Magnet High School, and while he was a freshman, met Chancellor Bennett, a.k.a. Chance the Rapper. And they, mm. at least for a while, were friends, were friendly. Vic Mensa is actually on uh, Acid Rap. Let me quickly find out. I haven't listened to Oh, yeah. I haven't listened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's See? on Cocoa Butter Kisses, actually, which is probably the, like, big standout track that most people would say is their yeah. favorite on that one. I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite, was always favorite song, actually. Funnily enough, I always like favorite song on that, but it's oh. not right now. Oh, oh, oh. I think, I mean, honestly, there was a time where I thought you and I should talk about acid rap on this, but then the more I thought about it, I'm like, I don't know if acid rap's really underrated. I feel like people talk about it really highly, and so I don't know if it's like, yeah, I think that that, for yeah, this. yeah, I don't think for this particular show. I don't know, honestly, if Chance the Rapper qualifies for our particular show. There was a time, dude, where he was like there was i just remember there was a time where like i was listening to this and thinking like i have discovered the greatest guy of all time when i was that that's what yeah everyone i feel like most people felt that or that was at least the conversation as far as i remember when acid rap came out summer of 2013 that came out the my first summer um not living it came out pre me moving into the city of chicago about that first summer uh, when I was uh, working at the records office at my college and listening to podcasts on my breaks, and they talked about it on Sound Opinions with Jim DeRogatis. And I downloaded it because they said it was free, and I'm like, that is right in budget. And 
Yeah, then it kind of exploded. He actually played, Chance actually played, like, a week or so before um, Acid Draft came out. He played at Columbia College Chicago's Manifest. No way, that's for awesome. free. Yeah, for free. It was like, um, and then he became, like, the biggest person in the world, basically, after, immediately after that. Um, and Did I didn't go to him? Manifest that year. No, I didn't go that year. Because um, I was a big old dummy, a big old dumbhead. That was when I was 19 years old. Mason, Mason, you can imagine me that young. I, I can't. I literally cannot. I, you're 50 years old in my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you know where Whitney M. Young Magnet High School is? Oh, uh, uh, no, and I don't want to say the wrong thing. I can't tell you where it is. Do you have location information on that? Uh, I can click and see. It says Whitney M. Young Magnet High School, locally known simply as Whitney Young is a public magnet high school and middle school located near West Side neighborhood in near the, whoa, located in the near West Side neighborhood in Chicago, Illinois. Whitney Young is operated by Chicago Public Schools. It says near West, near West Side. Is that an area in Chicago near West Side? Yeah, there's the near West Side and then there's the West Side. That's, uh, it's, That's... <laughs> we got to cram a lot of neighborhoods into the West Side of the city because there's no East Side of Chicago, as you'll know. It's the lake. Uh, it, even though that's where I live, that's where I am at currently. <laughs> is I am under the water. <laughs> you are under the under the what is it? It's Lake Michigan, right? Under the Michigan yes. Lake. Yeah. Yes, under Michigan Lake, the land of the big water. Uh, that's you, brother. Uh oh, Mason, you froze on me. Fuck. Okay, cool. We're back after Mason's computer does its final trick of the evening. Uh, All I was saying is that uh, Whitney M. Young Magnet High School is on the near west side, and that is a really dumb name for a neighborhood. That's fine with me. (laughs) (laughs) And you live under Lake Michigan. I do live under Lake Michigan. Yes, I am. I'm a little. I'm a little bog monster. I live under Lake Michigan, but uh, cool. So he was friends with Chance the Rapper. Showed up on each other's projects. Yeah, they're friends. I don't know if they're still friends, but they were at least at the time. Uh, Mensa performed with Gorilla's frontman Damon Albarn at Albarn's 2014 performance at the Governor's Ball Music Festival, where he performed Clint Eastwood and Vic filled in for MC Del the Funky Homo Sapien. <laughs> Have you ever listened right. to Del the Funky Homo Sapien before? Not outside of the context of gorillas, honestly, and I don't even have much uh, context for gorillas. They were not my favorite band. Not that I dislike them; they're just not my favorite band. They're not your favorite thing, right? <laughs> they're not. I would they're not, not your... them on my favorite podcast. <laughs> they're not your favorite one. No. Uh, when announcing a tour in 2015, Mens- Mensa said that he plans to collaborate with Albarn sometime in the near future. No idea if that happened. Maybe it did. Maybe it did not. Uh, in 2013, Double XL called his breakthrough mixtape, Internet Tape, quote, lyrical nourishment. I think that's great. And commented on his ability to, quote, bend words at will, cramming syllables into lines with obvious glee. I think that is a beautiful thing to say about this mixtape. I like that. I think that that's very nice to say about this particular mixtape. 
Steven Goldstein of Hip Hop DX, more like Hip Hop XD, uh, (laughs) (laughs) deemed this mixtape a free album, saying there's no ceiling on Vic Mensa's crossover ability. Those who log on to his internet in search of diversion and socializing will be satisfied with the freeform lyricism and upbeat tempo of the project's first half. And those looking for something that runs deeper than the established culture will be thrilled with the latter half. Kind of what we were saying. Yeah. Love that. Big Ben says, hold MTV. The inspiration for the mixtape came from him, quote, came from him, quote, tweaking one night with a lot of friends at his homegirl's house, end quote. (laughs) Since the the song. I think that comes through. I think that comes through. That's, that's, it's, if that's where he was going for, I think he hit it right on the head. It's very manic at times. It's very, you know, all over the place, especially with how much he's trying to get out. There is a bit of him like almost oversleeping and missing a flight, which is I think a great which is I think a great bit. Uh where are we at here? The following day, the he began recording material for the mixtape, already having chosen the title Internet Tape. Title is of course a combination of internet and mixtape. Complex ranked the mixtape at number thirty-four on their fifty best albums of twenty thirteen. They commented saying Internet Tape displays Vic's talent in its fullest fruition yet. As a rapper, Vic is physical, contorting words and playing with sounds. He bends the meter of songs in unexpected ways and dances freely between rapping and singing. He's fun to listen to. His writing is dizzyingly dense and consistently interesting. But Internet Tape is more than a show of great rapping. It's also an ambitious, musically omnivorous project that demonstrates Vic as an artist with a broad vision and a strong sense for building songs. I love that musically omnivorous project. I think that's a great descriptor, Mason. I like that. I like that turn of phrase. It's like there's, it's like basically they're saying like, it doesn't matter what stands in his way. If it's upbeat, if it's downbeat, if it's a little more psychedelic, if it's a little more straightforward, if it's soft, if it's powerful, it doesn't matter. He's coming at it and he's absolutely fucking killing it no matter what. Uh, In October, 2018, as part of the BET hip hop cypher awards, Award Cypher, excuse me. Mensa dissed the late rapper XXS Tentacion, referencing his domestic abuse charges. Subsequently, he received backlash on social media as well as from other artists. Mensa later apologized on Instagram saying, quote, recently I did a freestyle for the BET Award Cypher addressing and condemning rappers who unabashedly abuse women and those who stand up for them and even call them legends. I stand behind those statements. It was pre-recorded weeks ago and I had no idea a grieving mother would be the audience to honor her lost son. I never intended to disrespect her, and I offer my deeper, my deepest condolences for her loss at the hands of gun violence. However, I vehemently reject the trend in hip-hop of championing abusers, and I will not hold my tongue about it. I don't give a fuck about getting attention. I care about bringing awareness and holding people accountable for their actions. End quote. What is there? I mean, how, what can you say about that? Other than yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty damn cool. I'm pretty speechless, honestly. I think that that's a very considered, um, considerate reply, re- like response to, to that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously he had no idea XXX was going to be deceased, going to be you know gone at that yeah. point. But there was still something he felt like he you know had to say. He felt like he had to do some call out there. So you know, I think that's I think that's you know pretty much the ultimate reply as far as I'm concerned about what you can yeah. say. In a situation like that, 
That is all the fast facts I have, Mason. What is your Mercedes valuable player for internet? I'm going to give it to the production. Um, I was trying to look online uh, if there is a single producer on this, and it's kind of nice that there is a sometimes a team of folks that are credited for the production of a particular song. Sometimes it's one person, sometimes it's a bunch. So I'm just going to give it blanketly to just the production. Um, I think that it's a... Um, it's the most sort of sticky element to me. The thing that's sticking the most um, on my my two listens was just the kind of um, world and the kind of um, canvas that, um, um, that that kind of sets for for Vic and his his um, lyricism and his in his writing there. Uh, he's his produces is credited as a producer in a couple songs there. Um, so I just wanted to give mine blanketly out to that. Uh, what's your MVP, Chef? Uh, it's got to be his lyricism. Uh, I'm a sucker for interesting lyrics, especially in rap. I think that's probably what I like about rap the most is when people are doing things interesting with the lyrics, whether it's how they're saying a certain thing, what they're saying, and when at, it's working at its best, both things combined. So that is... One of my Mercedes valuable players, I have to give my other, my co-Mercedes valuable player to the producer, Cam Obai. I believe is how you say it. It's O apostrophe B-I. He's involved in the production of Welcome to Internet, Orange Soda, and Holy Holy, which are probably my three favorite songs on the album, all things considered. And he is one of the producers that's sort of linked in all of those. And so he gets my other co-Mercedes valuable player. But Mason... Do you recommend Internet Tape by Vic Mensa 2013? I recommend it. Put it on your list, folks. Listen to it on YouTube. Find it on Dap Piff. Figure out a way to get to it. Get to it because um, it's it's worth listening to. Liked it a lot. Um, and now that it's on my phone in my iTunes library, I think I'll be coming back to it a lot because it's uh, easy to find. Noe, what about you? Full recommend. I am so happy that I was able to remember this mixtape because I remember oh, yeah. it just brought me a lot of joy and a lot of really good listens when I was listening to it in high school. And just for whatever reason, I had been interested in other stuff, moved on, you know, to other things, you know, in college and, you know, post-college or whatever and bringing it back now. I'm like, damn, this actually hits harder than I remembered. I actually like it more mm. now than I remember liking it in high school because I like it more as a complete package now, at least for me. Sure. Uh, so even if you don't like rap or hip hop or whatever, I think this is a full recommend. I, this is the highest recommendation I can give something on this show. And that's what I have to say about that. Forrest Gump style. Forrest Speaking Gump. of Forrest Gump, we have a movie to talk about, right? Yeah, we do. We do. It's a Mason Forrest Gump. Pick. It's Forrest Gump, my favorite. It used to literally be my favorite movie. But no, Mason, no. this is a Mason pick movie. This what do we is. got? This is this is so we are going. I'm taking we are taking a quick break from my um plan my my initial plan with this stretch of the show to only bring on new things to me personally, um to talk about the 1988 film 88 or 87 88 88 film, uh Crossing the Land Sea. And the reason why we we're talking about it is because unfortunately the director of this picture, Joe Micklin Silver, passed away either on December 31st or January 1st, I can't quite remember, but very recently. Um, and this film had been on my list, and I thought that, you know what, if I were going to make an exception to my little thing this, this, this season of the show, 
this is going to be it. Um, so, yeah, crossing Delancey. Noe? Snap, 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 snaps for crossing snaps, Delancey. Snaps. Um, what do you want to know? What do you wanna, I want to know if you have any history with this movie. So I'm going to give you – this is not – and what I'm about to say is not, like, not exaggerated in any way, shape, or form. Uh, the only thing I knew about Crossing Delancey prior to you and I recording our second episode of our year-end wrap-up was that my friend Rob, at Responsible Rob on Twitter, for those of you who like film Twitter, uh, he liked this movie a lot. Mm, and that okay. is the only thing I knew about Crossing Delancey is that but I had how heard... He, how did he make this... How did he share this on Twitter? Did he just say, boy, howdy, Crossing Delancey, what a picture. No, I, like, no, like, I, like, know him in real life, and he was, like, telling me oh. about it one day, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Like, he was just talking about it. He's like, that's a real... That's a great movie, a movie that you wouldn't think that I would like, but I really like it. I'm like, okay, I have no fucking idea what that is, but you know, I'm 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 glad you like that movie. I'm glad it I'm glad it does something for you. And then I hadn't thought about it in like two years, probably. Sure. Maybe a little sure. longer, maybe like three years. And then Mason, you and I are recording the second second half of our 2020 wrap up, our top ten favorite first watches, new to us films of 2020. And you talked about between the lines on that. Yes. I believe that was your number four, right? I think it was my four. I joint security area was my two. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was my four. I think it was your number four favorite movie that you yeah. had seen for the first time in 2020. And you had said the name Joan Micklin Silver. It didn't really mean anything to me because I had no idea that she directed Crossing Delancey. Thought mm-hmm. that, you know, just had no connection there for me. But the way you described the movie, it sounded really interesting. And it sounded like, damn, I should actually check that out. Mm-hmm. So we record that on December 20th, 2020. Yes. And then on December 31st, 2020, Joan Micklin Silver passes away. Uh, yes, 89 years old. I think it was vascular dementia or something like that. Um, but she lived a, a good long life. Um, it's just still unfortunate in any case that she that she's uh, no longer with us. But it was weird that it was like we recorded that episode, she passes away, and then I think that following Tuesday, I gush about between the lines. And yep. when it came time to be recording for this show... There's a movie of hers that I am very curious to watch called Chilly Scenes of Winter with John Hurd, who shows up in um, Between the Lines and has a great performance in Between the Lines. And it's between watching that for the first time or bringing on Crossing Delancey, and Noe kind of talked me into bringing on Crossing Delancey. Um, and now that I've watched the movie again, I'm really grateful that we did this because this movie is such one this movie is a fucking treat and two i think that this is the way that most people should be brought into her um career even if um and and i would still really stand by um between the lines but this feels like a um so i saw this movie for the first time december of 2019 so it could not have been it was best new to me watch sure because it was in 2019. Oh, hey, and we so I was back home and uh, from L.A. been back for a month and we my parents had uh, TCM have TCM on their TV and we just flipped to the channel one day and it's in the middle of crossing Delancey. It's during the um, the scene where um, uh, Izzy's trying to set um, uh, a 
uh, Sam up with one of her friends yes. in that Mexican restaurant. In the middle of that, my dad's like, oh, this is Crossing Delancey. This is a good movie. Let's just restart it from the beginning. <laughs> um, which is like, I'm not going to say it's an uncommon thing for our, my parents to do, but it's like, I'm used to just turning on, like, TCM and it being like uh, like a, a war movie or something. You just like kind of start it from the middle. But the, so the fact that my <laughs> and dad it's, was and like, it's, it's called like my yellow swallowtail cries or something like that. Yeah, something like, like that. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, but my the fact that we wanted to start, my dad wanted to start this movie from the beginning was really remarkable to me. Um, Is that not did, something your dad would do, or did that just seem like this must mean something? Like, why was that remarkable? It just feel it just felt like oh, this kind of has this like. Low-key romantic comedy has the seal of approval from my dad. Oh, gotcha. Kind of thing, you know? So I'm curious just to watch it. And I am just completely surprised and charmed by this thing all the way through. Like, I don't know what I was expecting from a movie called Crossing Delancey, but I thought it was going to be, like... I didn't think that I would love it as much. And then, um, if it's possible, I loved it even more <laughs> the second time watching wow. it. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. Wow. Uh, well, I'll give you, I wasn't, I wasn't, to be honest with you, I wasn't completely done telling you about my history oh, with man, it, sorry. but that's okay because it actually, you actually set me up for a little slam dunkaroo here. Are you ready? Hell yeah, brother. Let's do it. So I did watch between the lines between when you talked about it on the episode where you mentioned that it was one of your favorite watches of 2020 mm-hmm. and this episode where we're talking about crossing Delancey. Mm-hmm. It's on Criterion. You know, if you have Criterion, I believe it's still available. You know, who knows how much longer it'll be there. I have a feeling it'll be there for a little bit, considering that she's recently deceased and they kind of want to celebrate her work or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I got to be honest with you, I did not care for Between the Lines. That's okay. It doesn't strike me as a Noe movie, but I'm glad that you gave it a chance. (laughs) I thought I was going to like it, though, to be honest with you. I thought, like, I thought I was going to like it because the way you, you actually described it in a way that made me more interested than I was pretty much the entire time that I was watching Between the Lines. Your description of what the movie is and how you like it was mm-hmm. more interesting to me than actually watching Between okay. the Lines. So I, that is like, that is Mason, I don't know if you heard what I said. That is a compliment to you, <laughs> I think, more than anything. Yeah, I did like yeah. the scene where they're at the bar, though. I thought that was a very good scene. I thought that was a really fun scene. The music is actually done by Steven Van Zandt, a.k.a. Little Stevie, a.k.a. Silvio Dante. Yes. Uh, I didn't mention that in the episode because uh, I was probably very tired from recording a lot. But <laughs> the music for that movie, which is interesting. Fucking epic is what I would say. Yeah, um, but I, so when you said, okay, we're going to do a Joan Micklin Silver, I wanted to push you toward Crossing Delancey because A, it's her most well-known movie and she's just by nature sort of an underrated director. You know, I think yeah. people are really only hearing about her really now because unfortunately she has you know passed away and i'm like you know if we're going to talk about her i think we should talk about crossing delancey i think that's the thing most people are going to know her from and i'm really glad i pushed you in that direction uh because i thought this movie was fucking awesome dude yeah this this movie movie fucking rocks right dude this movie (laughs) is really good this movie really this i'm happy because like i will tell you my second time watching journey i was watching this in mind of no like not trying to anticipate your response, but being like, okay, if Noe's watching this for the first time, what's he going to think? And the, the, the theme music kind of starts in the beginning, and I'm like, I can kind of see this getting on his nerves. I don't know if this is going to work out the way that I want it to. And the more that happens, the, the longer the movie goes on, the more I'm like, 
it was kind of like a Robert Palmer and Clue situation where I'm like, if nobody doesn't at least appreciate this, I am going to come and beat his fucking ass. <laughs> Absolutely fucking kick me 10 ways to Sunday, call me late for dinner, all that good shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie is awesome, dude. This movie is really charming. This movie is really cute, but it handles its central conflict very well. And it, and I think that there's, I think, what the, I think I know the key to crossing Delancey, even after just a first watch. May I share that with you? What I think yes. the key to the movie is? Yes. What's the key? It's not my Mercedes valuable player, but this is what I think the key to the movie is. This is why I think the movie works. Mm-hmm. And it does it really well. Mm-hmm. You've got that thing where there's the thing the character wants and the thing the character needs. You know what I mean? Yes. And those things, you know, good scripts are usually in direct opposition for each other. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yes. This is screenwriting. This is screenwriting 101. Maybe 102 if we want to get a little fancy with the spices here. Okay. Oh, yeah. Sure. 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 Yeah. 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 Let's put a little raisin for spice. Let's let's get Ron Falzone's raisin in this for spice in here. Yes. (laughs) But I think that this movie does that need versus want thing in a very interesting way it really doesn't hit you over the head with it but i think the key to the movie here is our protagonist who i can't remember the name izzy izzy Izzy. Izzy wants to be with the author with anton mays yes with anton mays jaron crobay is it mays or is it mouse i think it's anton mays okay i think you're right m-a-e-s i think you're right yeah but what she needs is to accept her Jewish heritage. Yeah, yeah. That is what she needs to do. She's not accepting of her Jewish heritage, and because she's not accepting of that, she can't accept herself and can't accept Sam. She can't accept the nice boy who who bought her a hat, who bought her a <laughs> brand new hat that she looks adorable in. Quite literally adorable. She kind of reminds me of Paddington when she has the hat on. Let's talk about how fucking cute Amy Irving is and how she is like my wife. (laughs) (laughs) She's your fucking my wife, bro. Yeah, she's she is great in this movie. She um, I just watched Moonstruck for the first time. Okay. Um, kind of in preparation and for context of this. Um, for this movie, because this is, a, it, I feel like this crossing Delancey, I'm sorry, this crossing Delancey, Moonstruck, and When Harry Met Sally are all kind, are all very much the same era of New York set romantic comedies. Sure. Um, and what I like about Amy Irving in this movie, which is the point that I was trying to get to, is um, she plays, she's so good at just being very, very subtle with. Um, her um, realization that she's falling in love with Sam. Um, And at the same time, you know, her, even when Anton Mays comes to her at the end and is like trying to get her attention and stuff, I don't think that on second watch, that guy came off as way more pathetic and way bigger of a loser. Like knowing what happens with that guy, you kind of see in the performance that this guy's a real fucking loser. But like, Amy Irving does such a good job of playing, like, the kind of just awe and aura that this guy has. Um, like, the weird, like, kind of um, uh, just just whatever his energy is that makes him attractive at first glance. He's aspirational to her because she yeah. represents, you know, he represents this new age intellectual life, you know, yeah. that sort of exists at her work, yeah. you know, 
whereas she's denying who she is and where she comes from yeah. with what Sam represents, which is hard work and, you know, valuing I a person love, versus a lifestyle. Yes. I love the scene where she's going to thank him for um, giving her the hat and she's just standing on this, on the sidewalk, like watching as he dunks his hand into the pickle juice and puts it in the jars there and just being like, Oh, wait, it's like letting that lifestyle get in the way of like, liking this guy basically like like um letting his sort of like more hard scrabble working class and get in the way of her uh i guess more cultured sort of um environment in new york and what i like is that like she, she's 33 in this movie i believe the character izzy is 33 right. she says so she's like established in kind of her work environment she has a pretty good sense of herself um so this isn't a movie where like a woman is like looking for a relationship that's going to define her. It just happens to be happening in this part of her life. Um, and I also like that even if she turns down Anton Mays or something, it's not going to affect her her career or anything. It's really just like this this, this little like kind of um, uh, uh, environment where you're just observing this woman as she's um, realizing maybe like one of the last like she's she's realizing what's really important for her to have is like in like a, a partner or something uh and that's her family and we haven't mentioned her yet but bubby in this movie we love bubby bubby's the fucking best dude bubby, bubby rocks so I love bubby. <laughs> maybe i've mentioned it on this show before maybe i haven't but i am jewish my yeah. parents both my parents were raised jewish my grandparents are Jewish, you know, sometimes, you know, the mom is really the one that really determines whether you are quote unquote Jewish or not. Right. But I wasn't bar mitzvahed, you know, I have only attended, you know, synagogue services of a handful, maybe two handfuls of times in my entire life. You know, parents have different ideas about how to incorporate religion and spirituality and, you know, Judaism, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, because, it is one of those things where it is a religious thing, but there's also a big cultural thing around it right, as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And going into Bubby's apartment, as well as going into Izzy's apartment, I could not stop thinking about Yaya, who is my, mm. my, my dad's mom. And that is what I call her. She's my grandmother, Yaya. We're not Greek as far as I know, but that's the name yeah. that she's picked she picked she picked that out for herself which you know say what you will about real that. yaya move it sounds like. <laughs> real fucking yaya move but you know i couldn't stop thinking about her and the feeling of being in their house and the feeling yeah. of going over to aunt donna's apartment after you know a service and all the food that would get put out dude mm -hmm. the fact that bubby is putting out that much food like there's so much goddamn food on the table for like this three is such people a good food movie dude this is such <laughs> a good food and drinking movie it's awesome and you know just these little things i'm not even really consider myself you know Jewish I guess I do in a certain sense because it's part of who I am and it's part of my history and it's part sure. of you know mm -hmm. my life to whether I like it or not not that I dislike it but it just that's part of me you know yeah but I don't I'm not a you know I don't go to temple I don't attend services I wasn't bar mitzvah but the feeling that I have gotten in my life around older Jewish women you know who have you know been through a lot who's maybe grandparents or parents you know were you know in and around the european area during world war ii and have some of that living history yeah. mm -hmm. to them you know and have that feeling 
there's a very specific feeling that that invokes in a very specific sense for me, at least in the past. And this is a movie that does that so incredibly well. You know, I have to imagine it might be like if your grandparents are from the old country in Italy and you're watching Moonstruck or something like that. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's got mm-hmm. that same draw to it, even though it wasn't this main aspect of my life. It was a part of my life that I always yeah. thought was nice and the part of my life that really reminded me of being a kid. And so looking at the art that Izzy has in her house, those you know pictures that hang behind her couch, even the couch itself, you know, even this, these little art design choices really i think hit the nail on the head you know yeah this is a a, an incredibly well detailed movie i think that's why it feels so lived in is because the details in this movie are so um so well well telegraphed and so well um presented i think that this is like you know um i was going to say the point that i wanted to bring up after that is that yeah um i was gonna say bubby's apartment and Izzy's apartment are so cozy looking and yes. they are truly like that's what I love in a movie is when you are spending an hour and a half with somebody sometimes even less honestly um and you just feel so comfortable in their apartment and in their living situation um and she has a great apartment too she has the fridge that comes out of the like kind of the hallway between the bedroom yes. and the living room um that she uh she has that like kind of greeting area where pregnant women walk through <laughs> or her weird like um filmmaker like kind of fuck buddy just like will wait in the lobby there yeah um, i i have like three questions that i have for okay. you here in a sec and what to what two of them are like legitimate questions and then okay. the other one I'll is more of like uh is one of them is more of just like a why do you think they did that like okay. type of like discussion question should i ask you yeah. now or later Ask me now, man. I'm ready. I'm game for anything. Okay. So the first two are like actually like what is going on here questions. Sure. Uh, and the first one is that character. Who is that guy? And I, why is he always crashing at her place? I think that he is just like, I like that you just, you don't know a lot about him. You know that he's always fighting with his girlfriend and always just like kind of booty calling um, Izzy. And I don't think he's not that important, so you don't know much about him. Is just kind of the thing I feel okay. about it, you know. Um, th- from what I glean, he's—I think he's like a filmmaker or something, and um, he probably met Izzy at some point, like in the past. And they kind of fell into a weird, like not weird, like a, a kind of like hey. Uh, hey, you up kind of situation. Friends with benefits type. Friends thing. with benefits, exactly. Um, and God, when uh, when he shows up to the apartment and Peter Riegert is there, and Peter Riegert's like, "Want to come spend the night at my place? You need a place to stay." I'm just like, "That is some real big dick. Sh- That's some real big dick shit, there, Sam. I'm Dude, so proud literally, of you." Literally, literally, and you know, I'll ask my other question here in a sec, but we have to acknowledge the fact that your guy is in this movie. Your fucking man, Peter Riegert, shows up again, dude. He rocks, dude. I saw this movie before I saw Local Hero, and I think the reason why I wanted to watch Local Hero is because he was the star of that. Um, but he is—he's uh, such a good actor. I—I I clicked into it this on this rewatch of Crossing Delancey. The reason why I think he's so good in um, Local Hero is that's a movie where the character's journey is sort of all uh, internal. It's all about him, like realizing uh, the beauty in the world. Um, but he doesn't lose like the kind of um, oil you know, the kind of oil barrenness part of him. He just is a guy that learns how to appreciate beauty. And I think that he, that's an actor's job to portray. um, And he does a very good job of that. And in this movie, he does such a good job of just being like, 
complete he's completely charming he's also someone like izzy that's like his life is at a certain point and he's just accepted it for what it is and whatever happens happens and i really admire that in a character um but he fucking rocks in this movie big shouts out to peter regert mason i want you to guess i want you to take a guess i have the number in front of me i was literally doing the math while you were talking about peter regert he is very good in this movie he's one of a stand. I mean, I don't think there's actually a bad actor in this movie or a bad performance no, in this movie, to be honest with you. Um, which is something that weirdly my dad, like, if a movie, like for my dad, if like, I'll be like, so what did you think? Or like, he'll ask me what I thought. And he'll usually say like, I don't think there was a bad performance in that movie. And it'll be something like the Pelican Brief or something like that, <laughs> which is like one of his favorite movies. But uh, he's like, there's not like a bad performance in that movie. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, I think that's rare. Like, he, like, says that to me. Like, that's his, like, big, like, movie thing. He's like, "There's a, no one had a bad performance in that movie. I'm like, I, okay, cool. Yeah. But, Mason. Yes. How old do you think, without looking, how old do you think Peter Riegert is in 2021? Oh, in 2021? I think he's probably got to be, uh, I'm going to say 70. 70 on the dot? On the dot, yeah. Final answer? Yeah, I'll say final answer. 74. You were very close. Wow. Okay. Okay. So... That is always surprising to me because the only real two things I know him from are now Crossing Delancey and Local Hero. He also shows up in The Sopranos for like a very brief little stint. But I don't really think of him as anything else. So in my mind, I was like, holy shit, he's 74. In my mind, he's got to be like, what, 55? (laughs) You know, like he's just like hasn't aged like at all. But there's like some actors who never age at all. And then there's some actors who are like, oh, they've been 80 years old their entire career. You know, like, yeah, like Max von Exactly. Exactly. Uh, my other question for you is something I didn't understand. Okay. Why? And maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about here because it happens kind of quick. But why did they do a close up on the baby breastfeeding like halfway through the movie? Oh, oh, oh. Um, see, that's the. Th- thing about this movie it's it's it was written by susan seidelman um, susan her, sandler sandler i'm sorry susan seidelman oh god what's susan seidelman i think That's she did uh piece i don't know who i have no fucking idea susan sandler. uh but this is a movie about i think and i don't know if i'll ever ever understand what it means to be a woman in your 30s and all your friends are when a friend of yours is married and has their first kid but that's a scene where if i remember correctly um izzy has set up um sam peter rieger's character with their friend marla or melinda or something she's played maryland by Ro- maryland she's played by Susie roach um and trying to get some information like trying to ask without asking you know because she still likes him or she's realizing that she's liking him and i just think that it's like kind of a where Izzy is in her life, I think she is thinking about that. Like, she has, like, she's, there's a man coming, she has to find someone to marry so that, like, she can be a mother, basically. I think that, again, I, it's, as far as I understand a woman's mind, I think that that's what's happening, is that this, there's that close-up to be like, oh, shit, like, I have Talk, to be thinking about motherhood. Clock is ticking. Yeah, yeah, I have to be thinking about motherhood with a part- with a um, I don't know if it's a clock ticking thing, but like I have to be thinking about motherhood with this with a potential partner at this point, basically just like the age that I am. Gotcha. That's just that's just my read, I think. I I just thought that part was weird and just like I didn't understand who that one character is that sometimes comes over to her apartment. I literally am like like this just doesn't make sense to me in the movie. Mm, okay. Um, and then my last thing, which I think it doesn't make sense to me, but. 
it's more of a why discussion topic more than Hell it is yeah. like what is it. Yeah. what is actually happening there is what the hell's going on with that woman at the hot dog restaurant who comes in and sings I think that's just some New York character, man. I think that's just like a little bit of, and I love when a movie does this, where they just have a, um, a one scene sort of performance like this, where there's just some weirdo that comes into a restaurant, you know, and uh, what is she? Oh God, what is she saying? Um, what's the song that she is singing in the restaurant? I know I wrote this down. Sorry, I'm looking at my notes. Um, Mason's notebook. Yes. And I think I wrote down, I'm going to cry over a dinner scene, but I can't remember which dinner scene. This it's got to be the one where they're in the Mexican restaurant. No, it's before that because my note right after is the one that I texted to you, which is Peter Rieger hard eyes, which is what I wrote in my notes when he showed up for the first time. <laughs> and I read that in a Kathy voice from like Peter Rieger hard eyes. <laughs> uh, I love these people. That's another note. Um, Let's see. I don't think what? you have it fucking written down, dude. I think you're I fucking think I us. I thought I did. But she comes in and she sings it. And I think it's just more of like a, it's just a little dramatic thing. It's a dramatic, um, it comes early enough in the movie where I think it's kind of just like a dramatic drop, like a just little drop of drama of the writer telling the character, the main character, like, this is the lesson that you should be paying attention to. Um, and I like that it's, um, I, have, I haven't, don't have a ton of experience in New York, but this feels like a very New York, particularly New York in the 80s type of thing where someone just, you're minding your own business at a restaurant and somebody just comes in for five minutes, does their thing, may not even ask for money and just goes. Like, there's just, someone's always looking for an audience or something. I love that in this movie, though. I don't know how you felt about that that weird scene, but I, I love that. Uh, I didn't know, I don't know if I loved it in the moment, but I love it now having seen the movie in its completion you know yeah. like it's not a it's not a moment that i loved like at the time because i'm like okay this is not what i think this movie is basically like it felt like that was trying to be maybe that's what quirky indie was though back then because i think this movie technically would be quirky indie you know what i mean for 1988 it's a sundance movie for sure yes it would be a it would yeah. be an indie darling you know and then back then it was an art house fave, you know, exactly, or whatever exactly. that means. But, you know, I thought that was like, okay, this is some Nick and Nora infinite playlist type shit that's happening right now. And to be, I, and I, you know, I think it adds to the flavor of the city. Like you were saying, you know, New York is this, you know, magical place. And the movie is really about place. Ultimately it's about how Izzy feels about the lower East side, you know, versus this high society, you know, world that she thinks that she can have. Um, mm -hmm. And Bubby is always there to remind her of that. Bubby is always there to be like, you know, this is who you are. You are a like great person. You do not have to like change in order for someone to love you, which I think is really the yeah. magic of their relationship of Sam and Izzy's relationship is that they don't really accept each other until they accept each other. And then they realize, wow, we really are perfect for each other because Peter Riegert's character almost is a manic pixie dream boy a little bit because he just sort of seems too good he, to be true he, yes yes but that's what's so nice about it though he's it just is. like unquestionably a nice guy but then there's that scene where he washes bubby's window 
Yeah. And there's the little fallout argument that they have because then Izzy comes by and Peter Riegert is like, oh, you didn't tell me, you know, is this really what happened here? You got me to clean your Bubby's window. And he kind of gives her a piece of his mind. You know, he's like, this is he basically tells her this is fucking bullshit the way you're treating me. You know, yeah. like you need to make up your mind. And he's right. Like yeah. she is not treating him fairly. And I thought that that was cool because I don't think a lot of the time you get to see female characters like that i think a lot of the time you know female characters are not portrayed as being selfish in that way where it's like they're trying to do the thing that they want to do regardless of how someone else might feel about it and that's a very real thing that people do all the time just not being considerate of other people that happens every fucking day and izzy does that in this movie to peter Riegert over and over again and i'm thinking man dude get out of there dude this woman's treating you like trash but they love each other you know, I agree, and that's the magic of this movie for me too. I would be so upset if these two didn't end up together. Like you know, I just I think that they are. Um, it's so I don't know why I didn't think that they kissed in this movie, and I'm so happy that I was wrong about that because like the final kind of scene with them when she shows up um, late to Bobby's house for their date, and then they kind of have that small like they they're real with each other basically and then he kisses her it's so and there's that like i love how that that scene in particular is shot where it's a very long take of just the two of them talking and it's blocked so that they're across on the other side of the kitchen and then she moves into the door frame and the camera's like kind of following peter rieger as he walks and meets her in the door frame and like kind of consoles her or whatever and then they have that kiss and it's just so beautiful but i think you're right that like um that's that's what i really admire about this movie and admire about movies of this type is when it's a like the main character is like sympathetic and understandably like a bad or like a quote-unquote bad person or whatever like she's not like bad she's definitely she's flawed and she's selfish but she's not a bad person no 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 she just like doesn't know what she wants and that's totally fine (laughs) i don't know what the fuck i want you know like this is a pretty it's a pretty reasonable thing. And I just like that. Like, I just like a movie where, you know, you have someone who's, you know, not, uh, who's maybe beautiful and maybe successful, but isn't completely confident in a certain aspect of their life. And then they have to just sort of like, you know, let go of any degree of, um, control over this particular aspect. And like, just kind of give, she kind of just like has to learn to give herself up to these, these feelings that she has for, for Sam and he has for her basically. Um, I don't know. I it's it's the sort of special sauce of this movie, and it's why I it's you know I think it's what made Joan Micklin Silver such a, a tremendous director of the two movies that I've seen. I wanted to watch her first movie, Hester Street, before recording, but I just could not slot it in. Um, she's a, a great actress director. She's very um, uh, uh, um, well, kind of like Vic Menton's way, very thoughtful and considerate. I think in very good at um, directing actors to um, be generous with how shitty these characters can be sometimes or how shitty their characters can be sometimes. Like, man, there's a way that you could play Anton Mays where he is, like, really threatening and really vicious, but he's just, like, a pathetic loser. And I love that that's, like, Jerome Crabb and Joe Micklin-Silver's take on this guy is that he's just, like, so uh he he's nothing but show basically like he's all like kind of feathers um doesn't have any furniture in his apartment but his bedroom looks really nice 
Oh my god. He could he, be John Claude Van Damme instead. He's John Claude Van Damme, dude. You're an idiot. Like that's yeah, what he big is. Big time, instead. big time, big time. But um yeah, I I like um in Joe McClinton-Silver, in the editing, too, there's a couple, like, she lets scenes, like, kind of breathe and really does a good job of, like, in that Mexican dinner scene, which I think maybe is my favorite scene in the movie, just because it's, like, so fun and so cute. They, um, when, um, Izzy goes down to meet her friend to bring her up for, you know, to introduce her to, um... To Sam. Uh, to Sam. And it just cuts, and Peter Reeder's just, like, playing with the ice, basically. Yeah. In his, in his glass. I'm like, that is so great. I love that that's in this movie. I love that there's a second there. Um, and it's, man, I've been going off a lot in this movie. Noe, what are some things that you like about this movie? Because you said that this movie was fucking awesome, and that makes me very happy that you said that. Well, I've already said what I really needed to say, except for the fact that I do think that uh, Susan Sandler, who wrote this originally as a play, did the adaptation to the screen. She did, she did, yeah. And I think that that is insanely impressive because although plays and film are similar in a lot of ways, there's one real thing that separates them, and that is the fact that there's a moving frame on screen. That is the fact yes. that you can change the angle of which you are looking at something, you know? And it's it can be challenging to adapt something that is so set or what you think is so set as one medium whether in the, in this case the stage and adapting it for screen that can be challenging you know that can be really challenging and i think she does it amazingly well i think that this is a good thing to adapt to the screen because it's very character based you know yes yeah uh but i think that she does a great job with it it feels natural on the screen whereas sometimes when some things are adapted either to the screen or to the stage, vice versa. It just sort of feels forced at the end of the day. You know, it feels like, yeah. why did you yeah. try and cram Spider-Man onto the stage, you know, at the yeah. end of the day? But this one works, and I think that it works really nicely. Uh, and the only other, you know, I really want to make sure we give, uh, what is her name? Riesel Bozik. I think Rachel Rachel Boychik, I can, I don't know. That's the best Bubby. We want to make Bubby, sure we give yeah. Bubby uh, the due. We haven't really talked about her a lot, but she really is the funny. She the This movie is a romance with Bubby in it. She is yeah. the comedy in this movie. It's yeah. not ultimately that funny of a movie, but the romantic comedy comes in when Izzy is with her Bubby. That is where the funny scenes are in this movie. And the comedy is great. It's real lighthearted and it's real sweet. This is just a sweet movie all the way home i would say but mason yeah. i don't really have anything else to say about it i think we should get into the wrap-up stuff what do you think let's get into the wrap-up stuff definitely i got actually a not a lot but i got some here because i do want to make sure we give joan micklin silver a little bit of time here to just sort of talk about her career in an overview mm -hmm. but here we go crossing delancey is based on the play of the same name written by susan sandler who i believe is currently at nyu tish as a professor there so mm. you can take a class with susan sandler while you're at tish do it i have to feel like that's a she'd be a great teacher oh, yeah. uh the soundtrack was released october 17th 1988 instrumental tracks were by paul shahara i believe is how you say that and songs were performed, in some cases written by the Roches. Susie Roche of the Roches played Marilyn, a friend of Izzy in the film. Marilyn, that's the name of the friend that gets set up with. I told you that earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I told yeah. you that earlier. The Roches <laughs> provided several songs for the soundtrack. One of them is featured in the film Nocturne 
is also featured on the 1989 album Speak, and an earlier arrangement of their cover of Come Softly to Me is featured on their album Another World. Rachel Bojic, however you are supposed to say that, this is the only English-language film she did. She mm. was mainly known for doing Yiddish theater. Mm. This is the only um, you know, English-speaking role that she did, possibly the only movie she did. She was mainly known wow, for the stage. Okay. And that's pretty amazing that this is her wow. debut and swan song performance, which is cool. God love her. God love her. The pickle store, as referred to in the film's the pickle store as referred to in the film was Gus's Pickles located at 35 Essex Street of course below Delancey Street if you're wondering why this movie is called Crossing Delancey when the name of the movie's main character is Izzy you're gonna have to watch the movie to figure that one out but it's a nice little metaphor Uh, a New York tradition since 1920 currently the pickle guys located at the corner of Essex and Grand's Grand Street and it continues the pickle tradition when Isabel and Bubby are sitting on a park bench waiting to meet the wedding broker, there is a shot of a bag beside Bubby on the ground to her right. The bag has Humphrey slash Musky written on it. They were the Democratic ticket for 1968, 20 years before the movie was released. Have no idea why that is in the movie, but it is. I think it's it's kind of, I kind of, knowing that, it, I bet that it's just like a bag that Bubby had lying around. Like, I know my grandma and my great-grandma, and they just have like all kinds of old shit. So I bet it's just like a bag <laughs> that she's been using for 20 years, which is like, it, we have no choice but to stand, honestly. No fucking choice. Joan Micklin Silver was born Joan Micklin in Omaha, Nebraska, the daughter of Doris and Maurice David Micklin, who operated the foundy, found, family-founded lumber company. Her parents were Russian Jewish immigrants, and she received her B.A. from Sarah Lawrence College in 1956. That same year, she married Raphael D. Silver, a real estate developer. They had three daughters and remained married until his death in 2013. One of their children, Marissa Silver, is also a film director and author herself. There you go. The family business. (laughs) Silver's film career began when she moved to New York City in 1967. She was a writer for The Village Voice, which is her experience in that is detailed in Between the Lines. Between, excuse me, before her career started in film uh, in the 1960s by writing a couple scripts for children's educational films produced by Encyclopedia Britannica and Learning Corp of America, for which she directed three short films. Mason, are you ready? These are movies. Two of the, one of these actually, this first one here is a movie that you would make. Are you ready for this? Yes. First is The Case of the Elevator Duck. <laughs> that is a movie you would make, and everyone would be like, Where's the fucking duck? And you'd be like, It's in the elevator. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's You're movie exactly number one. Right. That's movie number one. Movie number two, The Fur Coat, a classic. Yeah, that's a movie you would direct. No, you have no reason to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and number three, The Immigrant Experience, The Long, Long Journey. The Immigrant Experience about Polish immigrants to America was well received and is considered to be the immediate predecessor to Hester Street her debut film in 1975. She reflected in one interview that the barriers to women's entry into filmmaking were so steep in the early 70s that, quote, I had absolutely no chance of getting work as a director. Mm. In a 1979 AFI interview, she quoted a studio executive who told her bluntly, quote, this sucks so bad. I hate it. When I read this and I put this in the fast facts, I was like, this sucks. Feature films are very expensive to mount and distribute, and women directors are one more problem we don't need. That is, like, comically, insanely brutal, dude. That's so fucking brutal. Sucks. Didn't say who the the studio, you know, guy who said that was, but that's a big fuck you from Noe on that one. Yeah, fuck that guy. 
before uh where do we got here before beginning her career as a director silver worked as a writer she sold a script entitled limbo to universal in 1972 limbo a collaboration with linda gottlieb was about the wives of vietnam prisoners of war so some pretty heavy stuff going on there mm-hmm. studio executives told silver that crossing glancy was quote too ethnic Eventually, Steven Spielberg intervened in support of Silver's project, and Warner Brothers distributed the film. Spielberg knew about the problems it was having. Why, Mason? Ooh, were they friends? Is that your final answer? Sure. Spielberg was married to Amy Irving at the time. They were married to each other. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That or not, but that's the truth. They were married, and that is smiles for me that's i don't think they were married for too long maybe like five years or whatever because uh oh man because he meets um uh um what's her fucking name they've been married since uh, temple of doom they meet on temple of doom and that was a little before this i think i've got i've got amy irving married in 1985 divorced in 1989 and now he's married to kate capshaw that's her name yeah and And they were married married in 91 yeah. 91 is what I got, but oh, gotcha. uh, it's the same shit. Uh, Silver also conceived and directed the musical review A, My Name is Alice with Julianne Boyd, which she and Boyd intended to be, quote, a glimpse at the achievements and potential of women in the 80s. Mm. Another nice thing. Yeah. In a 1989 interview, Silver identified the film's Shadow of a Doubt, presenting Lily Mars, and Song of the Island as early influences, she also noted that she admired the work of Francois Truffaut, and she felt an affinity for Satyajit Ray. Mm-hmm. I've only seen Pather Panchali, so mm-hmm. I can't really speak to the Ray influence in her work, but I will say that Pather Panchali is a very gentle film as well. Yeah. Uh, even though it's sort of got a harsh, you know, context to it, you know, this poverty-stricken family in India is still able to find beauty in the world, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, but I don't know if I see the Francois Truffaut influence per se. I don't know. Do you see the Francois Truffaut influence yourself? Mm, not. Uh, I'd be curious. It, me personally, no. But I'm also like a a sort a sort of a neophyte with tr- Truffaut. I'm not terror. I know Day for Night, and I know Four Hundred Blows, but everything else, I've kind of not enough to to say truthfully one way or the other. Um, well, that's all I that's got as far as that's all I got as fast facts are concerned. Uh, my, I'm gonna tell you my fucking Mercedes valuable player first this time. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, got another co Mercedes valuable player here, Mason. Mm-hmm. My first recipient of the Mercedes valuable player award statue goes to Susan Sandler, who I think did a great job adapting this piece to the screen. Like I said, I think an adaptation is very tough because you have to take in mind, especially since she wrote the play herself. She had a very clear vision for what it needed to be on stage. Things have to change when you move to screen. Some things for the better. Some things you unfortunately have to go without. And that can be challenging, I think, when it's your baby, quote unquote. Mm. But in the film world, you know that the director is the boss, ultimately, of the vision of the film. And so I think that she did a great job adapting this. Even though I think that it is well-suited to be adapted, I think she did a great job with the adaptation. And I got to give my second, my co Mercedes Valuable Player Trophy to Rizel Boyzik, who plays Bubby. She is the heart and soul of this movie for me. The comedy, like I said, only comes in when she is on screen. She's great. One thing I forgot to say is that David Hyde Pierce is in this movie as well, a.k.a. Niles Crane. Niles Crane is in this movie. Uh, Rosemary Harris shows up in this movie. She's Aunt, Aunt fucking May. May, dude. Aunt May. And 
You know who's also credited as a uh, patron of the bookstore or something in the bookstores? No. John Patrick Shanley. What? For real? John Patrick Shanley is apparently in this movie somewhere. I don't know, but I was watching the credits, and there's, like, a special credit for, like, a credit block of, like, um, bookstore, like, kind of attendees or something, and I saw John Patrick Shanley's name in there, and I'm like, fuck, this is a year after Moonstruck. This is two years before, or four years, rather, before Joe versus the Volcano, and they just found, he just found the time to show up to set one day, which I thought was awesome. That's crazy. Um, Wait, who does Rosemary did. who does Rosemary Harris play in this movie? Because I was trying to remember. She's she the, the poet. author, the poet. Yeah, she's okay. The, yeah, she's the poet that comes in. Um, uh, uh, that everyone's really infatuated with. Um, and it's kind of Sam. mean to Anton, right? Yes. Yeah. She's like, "Why don't you go back and write in your in your native tongue?" Or whatever. yes, yes. Yeah, that she's, lady. She rocks in that moment. I'm like, absolutely fucking drag him. Is yeah, what drag, I'm thinking. Drag his ass. Uh, <laughs> Gotta fucking drag his ass. My MVP is Rachel Boy Boychick or Bubby. Just that's just who it is. It, you're right. She is the heart and soul of this movie. Um, she did it in one. She did it in one film performance. Um, yeah. I, I love her. I, I love this movie. It's it's so just so sweet and so kind and so empathetic. And you just get a chance to hang out with like like the Jewish New Yorkers, basically. Like you just get a chance to hang out with a a, a group of folks that uh, I don't have a ton of. Um, I don't know anybody in my life that is is is, a, is Jewish from New York from the Lower East Side. Um, but it's such a vibrant world. It's such a well-lived-in world. You just really feel like you are entering into this space and, and spending, like, quality time with these people. Um, it's it's made me so... This movie makes me so fucking happy. Um, truthfully, I, I had so much joy and just, like, was just smiling the whole time watching this thing, kind of almost crying. And at the end, I had one of those moments where, like, the movie ends and it's just so perfect that you just, like have a big sigh and like yeah. you just like the whole movie out of you um this is a full recommend for me i can't i i can't give it anything higher honestly i it's it and it got bumped into my emotional support movies letterbox list finally like just just whenever i need it i have it there to remind me um i love this movie so much that that's that's me on that Noe, how about you i recommend this movie i'm gonna give it a i'm gonna straight recommend i don't know if i'm gonna get re ready to give it a I've done a full recommend yet, but this is a recommend. Uh, I think this is a very good movie, and I think that it is worth your time. You gotta like rom coms, you gotta like this kind of thing, but I think that this is worth people's time regardless. So let me give it a straightforward recommend. But Mason, that's fucking it. We did the show again. We did the show. We had a little bit of a, a little bit of a fart, a little bit of an evil fart in the middle there, but it's totally fine. We've got everything. It'll you don't even have to say that, to be honest with you. You can just cut that part out. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Maybe I will. Maybe I will. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Mason. Yes. What's up? Wrap us out. Wrap us out. Follow us at the links in the description. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends. Listen to my other podcast, The Barn, a podcast about the Shield. Find me on Letterboxd, on Instagram. All that stuff is in the description there. Uh, send us an email. Everybody wants to. The number two, get on the list at gmail.com. Uh, I just saying that now. I remember that Chef Dustin emailed us in, but that might be something we talk about on next week's episode. Um, but as, term, as far as that goes, um, Noe, do you plug your pluggables. 
YLG, your local government, Instagram, YouTube, YLG.world on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Noah Marger on Twitter, Noah.Marger, that's dot spelled D-O-T on Instagram. Follow me on Letterboxd, Moa Narger there. You can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, podcast three people's favorite things. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. This week, I'll be talking to director, editor, filmmaker extraordinaire, Ben Oliphant, about the one and only Bionicles. So Hell if yeah. you like Bionicles, if you like Legos, this will be the episode for you. I have yet to record it as of this recording that we are recording this episode if it's on the list. But I have been told by many sources that this man knows everything there is to know about Bionicles. Oh boy. Were you a Bionicles guy, Mason? I had a couple I had a couple figures growing up. I watched the the first movie. Mask of Light. Mask of Light. Yeah, they were fun. I thought Bionicles were fun. I thought the masks were cool. They were cool looking, cool looking guys. <laughs> they certainly were some cool looking guys. I will agree. <laughs> I will agree with you there. Some cool looking guys. Uh, I wish like, I had a mask like that. Yeah, big time, big time. All right. Uh, nope. I got one more recommendo for you, Mason. And okay. I know that you will like this because you've actually seen this on my recommendation. And that is go on Amazon Prime and watch Jasper Mall. Jasper Mall, baby. It's good as fuck. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, I wish no. I had seen this movie before we did our top 10 favorite first watches of 2020. Or my, or I guess our 2020 list because it would have made yeah, my 2020 yeah, yeah. list easily like this movie is fucking awesome documentaries are great although i wasn't able to see a lot of narrative films from last year just because it was so tough to actually find things that were streaming get access to things that maybe were a little more critically acclaimed i still haven't seen minari i still haven't seen a lot of the stuff that i wanted to see from last year but there were a lot of good docs that were available to stream this last year and a lot of good docs that were available to watch and jasper mall is right up there and i didn't hear anybody talk about that movie yeah. I actually like to bring it onto the show one of these days. So that is all I will say for now. But Mason is right when he says it's good as fuck. But that's all. Mason, yeah. take us away. Black lives matter. Black trans lives matter. Abolish, defund the police, save the post office, tell some of you love them. Folks, for the last time ever, fuck Donald Trump. And for safety's sake, fuck Mike Pence. And we will see you all in the new fuck Joe Biden era next week. Goodbye. No, we're going to cross this bridge when we get to it. It may not be necessary. I'm just saying. Great. All right. I'm just giving you a heads up that there is a there's a there's a 30% chance of me shitting on this podcast. That's all I'm trying to say. Hold on, Mason. Oh, just fuck, I didn't be, be quiet for one sec. I'm going to try talking. I may have heard some like weird reverb on your end, and I don't know if that's me coming in weird or testing testing one two one two t okay i heard myself in your screen for a sec but i don't know if that's maybe zoom glitching or you Interesting. or there's uh, no like weird leakage coming in is there at least that you can hear no but you know what i'm going to do what? i am actually going to go and go to the bathroom <laughs> yeah brother that's what i fucking okay. like i'm okay. gonna pause this real the pause the recording and then when we come back we can get started okay i'm just gonna leave mine running hell yeah okay
Okay, I'm done shitting myself. I'm ready to go.